The scripture lesson today is Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 25, found on, in the Pew Bible on page 655. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. And one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food, shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, still our souls. Remind us that you are God and we are human and our lives are in your hands. Amen. For our sermon last Sunday, Dr. Walter Brueggemann was with us, a renowned Old Testament biblical scholar, and Ian and I, merely mortals, had a conversation together about the first chapter of Isaiah. How many of you were here last Sunday? So you remember this. Dr. Brueggemann, of course, was on the main stage, and Ian and I were uh, just there to lob questions at him that he could brilliantly answer, which he did. And so this morning, we're continuing with the book of Isaiah, this time chapter 65. But I want to begin by asking, what is meant by the word prophetic? What do we mean by prophetic? So in our biblical tradition, a prophet is not one who is superstitious um, and half-baked, who predicts the future. Rather, a prophet is one who listens closely for God's word and is tasked to speak into the world or into the system um, an alternative message of reality. 
a reality based not in the world's values, but in God's intention for a world to be rooted in, in justice and mercy and love. So a prophet, or a poet, as Dr. Brigman likes to uh, prefers, takes on the risky business of speaking truth to power. A prophet disrupts our settled lives to wake us up to a greater truth. A prophet's message calls into question the rules that the world has given us to live by. Like a worried parent concerned with a child who doesn't seem to get it through their heads, that their actions bring consequences upon themselves. God warns the people over and over and over again, if you stray from the ways of goodness I've laid out for you, your life will be a struggle. And sure enough, they were disobedient, disobedient over and over, and they ended up in exile. Because the word springs forth, the prophetic word springs forth from the compassion and the love and the patience of God, the warning is always couched in hope. It's always surrounded in hope because God stays faithful to the relationship, longing for her child's well-being. So Isaiah was a poet in the 8th century BCE, and in the first chapter, he is told to speak to the people of Jerusalem in a time of prosperity. Prosperity for some people, that is. And he's speaking to the urban elites who are benefiting from a standard of living that they'd created. For many others, however, it was not a great time. It was a time of suffering. So their social and economic policies benefited the wealthy. Now, either they put them into place intentionally or inadvertently or without consideration for the poor. To the religious leaders, God speaks. Your religious practices are not what I want. Your animal offerings, your praise songs, these are not what I seek. The kind of worship I desire is to order your lives around justice and mercy. Care for the widow and the or or orphan and the immigrant. Create policies that are fair so that all have access to what has been given to you. The abundance of the land and the good earth is all gift, not to be hoarded by a few but to be distributed fairly so that all the neighbors have access to the abundance of God. And as the words of the prophet from chapter 58 go like this, is not this the fast or the religious practice that I choose, said the Lord, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. The prophet's words stand as a guide for all faith traditions. The faith God desires is one that puts bodies 
into action. We pray with our feet and our hands and with our freedom, we citizens vote in elections to protect the interests of the poor, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant. Now here in chapter 65 is one of the most wondrous poems in all of scripture. We're given this artistic expression of the divine creator, an expression of an alternative dream, God's dream of a world that at its center is thanksgiving and praise and gratitude for God's abundant gifts. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke to the crowd that marched on Washington. And he spoke, and in the middle of his speech, those on the platform realized that he was actually losing the crowd, which is a great comfort to pastors and preachers. <laughs> that if he could lose a crowd... But he was, he was losing the crowd, and Miss Mahalia Jackson, who was also on the platform, shouted to him, Martin, tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream, Martin. And so Dr. King went off script. Mahalia reminded Dr. King of a dream greater than his own. What made history was not only his words about civil rights for all African Americans, for all people. What made history was the preacher, Dr. King, going off script to preach into an unjust, unjust system, the poetic language of God. The I have a dream speech was filled with imaginative language describing God's alternative world of justice and mercy. So a dream upon which oppressed people depend. As Dr. King preached, the marchers held their breath and their eyes were wet with tears. Do you think, I, I think the poor, the elderly, babies know this dream. It's in our DNA. It's in our flesh and bones. We long for God's shalom. We long for peace and wholeness. And God's dream of shalom, shalom can lift up a suffering heart. God's dream for shalom can nourish a weary soul. Just ask someone who's grieving. For I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth, the Lord says, to those who are suffering. And this isn't about the sweet by and by. There's no discussion of gold streets or harps hanging on trees and this dream isn't for the spiritual but not religious. This dream of God's new earth is material. It's rooted in place, in a city. It's about caring for the hurting and the sick and the dying. God's dream comes to life in our incarnating it, in putting flesh to it. To dream God's dream actually requires something of us. It's about putting our love for God into tangible 
actions of love for neighbor. So listen to the movements of this poem of Isaiah 65. God's dream is about the health care of children and the elderly. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. And God's dream here is about the economy, about housing and the land and labor practices. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. And the last movement, God's dream is about living in radical peace with one another. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So this alternative world that Isaiah describes requires us to opt in. You see, as followers of Jesus, we've been tasked to keep this dream alive. And how do we do it? God cares about the way we spend our money. God cares about how generous we are with our stuff. God cares about the kind of speech we use to talk about each other. We keep God's dream alive in the ways we use our power and our privilege to defend those who have no power. I want to conclude by sharing a portion of the poem. It's on the front of your bulletin the portion of a poem called The Future Not Our Own. It's dedicated to Archbishop Oscar Romero, the priest in El Salvador who dared to preach about God's dream. He dared to speak out against social injustice and poverty and torture. And he was killed at the altar when he was celebrating the Mass. And the poem reminds us that being co-creators with God does not guarantee that our work will be accomplished, that we will succeed. In fact, God never calls us to be successful. God calls us to be faithful. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, 
but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. St. Benedict said, always we begin again because endlessly we decide and keep on deciding to follow Jesus, opting into living out God's dream with intentionality and with imagination. We are prophets of a dream that is not our own. May we be faithful to the task. Amen.